The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. If you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, you can go there on your phones. You can search it that way as long as we are in Hebrews chapter 1 for a standalone message titled, Jesus Greater Than. Everyone say that title with me. Ready, set, go. Jesus Greater Than. Verse 1 of the book of Hebrews. And I will pause a moment as you are all turning your way there. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he created the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now, most people would probably not see the book of Hebrews as being a Christmas type of book, and I would agree with that, Uh, but it does correct a very common faulty theology that a lot of people believe in today's world, and you will probably very likely, even perhaps this Christmas season, bump into someone who believes that, that Jesus first had his being, that he first came into existence on that first Christmas. And we know from this text alone and a host of others that tell us that that the world was created through Jesus, that it was not Jesus on the scene for the very first time that first Christmas night, but it was instead the world was made through him. He was already the king of heaven before that first Christmas ever came about. And it tells us here explicitly that, that the world was created through him in three particular ways. If you're ready to hear those three particular ways, say yes. The first way it says is that it was through the brightness of his glory. Now, how Jesus made the world worlds through the brightness of his glory, I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> but I think I at least have a little bit of a snippet of an idea. We know that this theme of Jesus being bright, physically, literally bright, is a recurring theme in Scripture. We know of the transfiguration when it says that his face shone like the sun. And that didn't even include his, his garments, which... With shown with that similar kind of brightness. Uh, we know of Paul's conversion when he was on the road to Damascus that, that it was just a millisecond of Jesus' presence being there and the great brightness. It, it caused him to be completely and totally blind. Uh, it's been told to me that you can stare at the sun, our actual sun on this earth, you can, you can stare at it for approximately two minutes before it will start doing permanent damage to the retinas in your eyes. And when you compare that to Jesus and Paul being blinded instantaneously, it makes you realize that compared to Jesus, the sun as we know it in the sky, and in the wintertime it's very low in the sky, and in Ohio we sometimes don't see it for weeks on end in the wintertime, but but that sun that we see, it is compared to Jesus a dark, damp, cold, dirty corner of the unfinished basement compared to our Savior. The second way that it says that he created the world through himself was that through the express image there it says in Hebrews, the express image of his person. What does it mean for Jesus to create the world through the express image of his person? I have no clue. (laughs) 
But I know that Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, the psalmist says, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's the answer as to why, church. Here's the reason why he wanted to, to do that, was to behold the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of Jesus. How many of you have ever, by show of hands, have ever either been to Yellowstone or seen a picture of Yellowstone National Forest? Most all of us know the place that I'm talking about. I've never been there personally, but I know many of you have. And it is indeed a beautiful place. The pictures that I have seen are just absolutely breathtaking. From those glacial rivers that cascade down the mountains to the, the huge open prairies with buffalo. I mean, it just, it just, and it's not only a beautiful place with the rivers and, and the mountains and the sunsets. I mean, it's just, it's just so picturesque in the whole place. But it's not just special physically in its beauty, but it's, it's special in the, the interesting things that happen in Yellowstone and the things that are about that place. I heard just recently that in 1995 they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone National Park. And they did it for many reasons, but one of the reasons was because the deer and elk population had gotten so incredibly out of hand. And they had eaten all the vegetation up around these riverbanks, and it was completely destroying the course of the rivers through this park. So they released the wolves, and, and long story short, it, it made the herds recede back, it decreased their numbers, and it, and it caused it such that these wolves, it trickled all the way down until they changed the course of the river just by introducing this one animal. So, so fascinating, such an interesting thing to learn about in such a beautiful place, but here's what I know of Yellowstone, and I know a number of people who kept vacation there regularly, is they always leave. There's a time when its beauty runs out. There's a time when there's... There, you, you, your eyes have, have drank into the full of the beauty and then you leave and, and, and you're not, you've been satisfied by what you've seen, by what you've learned, the beauty of it, the, intric the intricacies that are interesting about it, and then people leave. But the psalmist says, if I could go to the Lord and just gaze upon Him forever, His great, amazing beauty, I'd do it forever. He is the reason that we will be loving being in heaven, making the world through the express image of His person, his express image far supersedes that of anything that he has ever created. Number three, if you're ready for number three, say yes. This is the third reason, that the third way or avenue through which the Bible tells us that he created the worlds. And it says, by upholding all things by the word of his power. What does it mean for Jesus to create the world through him and then upholding all things by the word of his power? What does it mean for Jesus to uphold all things by the word of his power? I have no idea. But I've got a little bit of an idea that if you follow along in this understanding, then perhaps you'll come to this same conclusion. This is what I believe, and, and this is perhaps not a popular theological belief. Most people don't dig this deep into a single piece of Scripture of, of wanting to know exactly how is it that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? Well, if you were a good student in school, which I maybe was not, but I had an interest in science, and you'll remember from your science book that protons, electrons, and neurons make up atoms, and that atoms make up molecules. And, and that's pretty common knowledge. Most of us probably walked in here this morning knowing that, okay? But if you're a really good student, which I definitely was not, you will probably remember something called molecular vibrations. And basically what this is, is that each little tiny proton, electron, neuron, atom, and molecule as their relationship is together, that there's this movement between all of those things. These are obviously all microscopic things that you can't see with your eyeballs, but 
These little movements that are just going on and on, this buzzing, this vibration inside of all these things, all things of matter, our bodies, the chairs you're sitting in, the floor underneath our feet, the roof overhead, all those things, there's this buzzing that continues on and on and on and on, and it doesn't ever, ever stop. Some molecules have more, but none of others have less, but even the ones that have the lowest amount, they still have this buzzing going on inside of them. Now, humor me for just a brief moment here. Take your hand and set it on your throat. And then I want everybody to go, uh, okay, you all look like fools, but I did too, so it's all right. And hopefully you at home, that you're following along there too. What, what did you feel in your hand? You felt vibrations. Now, don't lose, don't want to get lost here. Follow along with this. We know of God's voice with us being made in his image that his voice also very much has vibrations to it. Now, not in the sense that you can touch his throat and feel it, not in the sense that we did, but, but we know throughout all of Scripture that when God speaks, or even the angels for that matter, the created beings of God that he makes, that when they speak, the walls, Isaiah said, as he has this vision of God on his throne, that even when the angels speak, it's enough to shake the walls. And when God speaks, when Jesus said things like, it is finished, that earthquakes came about. It wasn't this little buzz you felt on the end of your fingertips. It was things actually physically shaking by the voice of our God. Now follow along here. Don't, don't get lost. What is it that the book of Genesis is full of? It's full of God said, let there be light. God said, here's the firmament. God said, here's the grass and the herbs of the field. God said, here's the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. God said, he's always speaking all of these things into existence. All of these molecules, all of these protons, electrons, and neurons, and, and atoms, and all these things he spoke into an existence. Now, it's interesting to note that scientists have found that these molecules can't stop vibrating. What they've ascertained about them, a whole bunch of things they don't know, but what they have ascertained is that if a molecule had no molecular vibrations, that it would break down and cease to exist. They don't even know why it's vibrating. They don't know whatever keeps it going. But they know that, that they all are vibrating in this molecular vibrating, this little buzzing that goes on. And if, if it were to stop for any molecule, the relationship of all those things would break down and it would, just, it, it would not be able to have its being. Now, they have come up with some explanation that I have read many times as to why they say these things are vibrating and can't stop and they would not have their being, but, but I believe the answer is found in Isaiah 40, verse 8, which says, the wither, grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So I believe that God's speaking. The, I, I believe that's what it means for him to uphold all things by the word of his power because his word has power and there's power in it. He spoke these things into existence and the very same shaking, the very same vibrations of the things that he spoke into existence are still going today. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. If his word wasn't powerful, everything would cease to have its being. I believe that that is what Hebrews teaches us there in the first three verses. So the very point number one that we could write down this morning is that Jesus is greater than creation. Everyone say that with me. Ready, set, go. Jesus is greater than creation. He's greater than all of creation. So much greater than all the creation that he has made. In biblical times, people worshipped at the altars of the Greek god Helios, which was the god of, they thought, it was the false god, we know that, but they saw it as the god of the sun, and they worshipped upon the altars of astrologers, people that taught that 
that stars were gone, that the moon was gone, that the sun was gone, that, that, the, that the things that we see open up in the night sky, that all those things were worthy to be worshipped. And those were the altars upon which people worship. Today, we call it climate change. And those are the altars upon which people are worshipping. Now, now, hear me, church. I, I, I do believe that God has given us dominion over the earth, and we ought not to be a doofus in how we're having dominion over something that God has given us. Amen? Okay, somebody say yes. We, we ought to have some responsibility about how we go. F- you ought not to change the oil in your car and just let it crack open and go all over the place. I mean, I was, I was on a motorcycle ride the other night, that last nice day that we had, and I was driving through some rural country areas in Ohio, and I thought, man, like some people, they, just, they don't get that God has given them this earth. Like their yards are just full of junk. Like, you've got a trash can. Pick it up. It's like, it's not, I mean, I'm not, okay, it's not even big, heavy stuff. Just like random stuff everywhere. Pick it up, put it in the trash can. Like, like a Christian ought to do those things. We ought to realize that, that we have been get, God has given this earth. We, we, he's put us in dominion over it. We ought to be wise with it. But we ought not to worship it. We ought not to worship the movement of climate change. That's not our God. Why would we worship the lesser thing? This, this creation that God has made that he is infinitely greater than. Why would we worship that? Be responsible, yes, but, but ultimately it's not about all of us making our carbon foot, footprint down to zero. It's about him upholding all things by the word of his power. That is what is holding this world together. If you believe it, say amen. I'm going to worship Jesus because he is greater than creation. So if, moving on in God's word. Verse 3, part B, it says... When he had by himself, everyone say himself. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So second point that I'll give you right now that you can keep your pens and notes and tapping fingers on your tablets going. Jesus is greater than sin. Somebody say amen. Jesus is greater than sin. And what I would exhort you, what I would strongly encourage you in churches, is don't skim over God's word. Soak it in. Meditate on it. Let it be hidden in your heart. Don't just read over it and skip over. What, what an amazing, beautiful, special thing. All of God's word, the whole counsel of God's word, we need it and it's special and it's wholly inspired by him. But boy, this verse right here is just so special because it has something interesting in us pertaining special heavenly events. Now, there are certain things constants if you will that we know about heaven streets of gold that's pretty cool we know that the gates are carved out of one huge heavenly gate is carved out of one single pearl y'all how big is that clam i I just want to know i that's amazing that's a constant we know of the angels that there there's this worship there's this this buzzing of worship holy 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 is the lord god of hosts who was and is and is to come holy holy they just continue on we we know what the worship is like we know some of the things some of the constants in heaven but of these particular special events we don't really have a whole lot we know some things we know some things about this particularly him seating back down after having accomplished the the objective of, of purging our sin, we, we understand that piece of it. We understand the fall of Lucifer, some of the things we've learned in the book of Ezekiel, and we know of the book of Job. We know of that whole event. Now, some of these things we don't know a whole lot about. Some we do. We know a decent amount in the book of Job about that special event in heaven. And it really messes with a lot of people's theology to know that there's this meeting that God has in heaven and that the devil came presently in heaven 
is what the Bible says. And, and, and we know that whole story of, of the devil making these accusations and the whole conversation between God and the devil is, is recorded there. And, and we have a pretty clear picture of what happens there. But, but rather than just skimming over verse 3b of Hebrews 1 and just, just going over it, let it sink in your hearts for just a minute here. Let's, let's create the picture, if you will, of, what, of what's happening here. Prior to creation, prior to Genesis 1-1 ever happening, we know, or prior to at least the fall of mankind, we know that, that Lucifer, the angel, was then the devil. He was already the bad guy at that point in time. Pastor Ben, how do we know that? Because when Adam and Eve show up on the scene and the snake slithers into the garden in the form of the devil, that, he was already the bad guy at that point in time. But what the book of Ezekiel tells us is that this angel Lucifer used to be this glorious, wonderful worship leading angel the bible says and i don't even know what this means but the bible says that there was music that would come out of his midst i don't even know what that means but it sounds wonderful and the bible says that he had a prideful thought in his heart the bible says that he thought to himself i as he said in his heart i will be like the most high god so if i could paraphrase what he probably thought to himself there is he thought if i could get these angels that are worshiping god to just turn around and to worship me i'd be getting them to do the more proper and worthy thing if they would turn around and worship me and and we know the story that the traditional understanding scriptural understanding of this is that lucifer then became the devil cast out of heaven and that he was so glorious that he was so influential that a third of the angels were deceived with him and were cast out of heaven with him as well. And church, if I could just tell you, if there was ever, ever, ever a time that I wish I could have been a fly on the wall of heaven, and I don't think there's flies in heaven, but if there was one of them, I wish I could have been that fly that, that could have seen what would have happened next. Because as far as we know, these angels were created, and for however long a time that was, they're in there worshiping God. Lucifer's there. He's the worship leader. They're worshiping God in this great union. And then all of a sudden, they see the angels, two-thirds that still remain in heaven, they see this thing play out of Lucifer rebelling and him deceiving these angels, and he's cast out. And I just want to know, church, and it doesn't tell us what happened in Scripture, but I so want to know, what did that look like? look like in heaven that that moment afterwards and jesus is on his throne and all the like did they look at each other like was it was there a moment of quietness when angels realized for the very first time as much as we can tell from scripture they realized for the very first time that they had it within themselves the ability to sin before god i just wonder sometimes and i'm speculating because i don't know but i wonder man were they just quiet like did they just look at each other for a moment did Michael, the archangel, did, did, he, did he go up to the spot where it was that Lucifer was standing when he rebelled? And did he get on his face and start screaming the praises of God? Did, did Gabriel start to turn around and, and, and bring these angels with him? Like, like what did that work? Was there some little angel way in the back and the whole place is quiet? And some little bitty angel all the way in the back says, Hallelujah! Praise Jesus! He's my Savior and He's my God! I sometimes wonder what, what that looked like. And for the very first time ever, church, they realized that Jesus was greater than sin. They realized that, I believe, for the very first time. So, and we see this play out again as we go up right to before the very first Christmas. That he obviously left his throne to come and to save us. He accomplished certain things that he left heaven to accomplish. He accomplished the incarnation through the virgin birth. He accomplished the sinless life, though he was tempted like we are. He accomplished the false accusation, the death on the cross, the resurrection, the appearing to the disciples, the ascension. He, he accomplished the 
by himself purging our sins and then going back to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's, that's what he accomplished. So the angels knew that Jesus was greater than sin. They saw that. The disciples firsthand, they saw that Jesus was greater than sin. And because of God's word today, thank you, Jesus, for it. We see that Jesus is indeed greater than sin. Say amen. So listen to me, child of God. And I know that many times near the end of our services, and I'm not done yet, so don't think you're getting to lunch too quick, but I know many times it's, it's, it's customary in our culture today to denote the end of the service as an altar call type of service, but, but I, I want to speak to the Christian heart right now of the people that, let me just ask you, saint of God, child of God, redeemed by his blood child today, let me, I want to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. Was it a small thing for him to leave heaven? Was it a small thing for him to be dethroned into that manger, into that feed trough? Was it a small thing for him to live this perfect life, even though he was tempted just like all of us are? Was it a small thing for him to, to take the crucifixion and the Were any of those small things? Was it a small thing for him to have accomplished what it was that he deemed that he was going to accomplish in annihilating the sin in our lives and its power over us and then to go back to heaven and be seated with a job well done? Was that a small thing? The answer to that, my, my dear friends, is a resounding no. It was not a small thing. So why is it? That we believers, and I'm going to preach to myself, to my own heart, for if I could just take my heart out and set it right here and preach to it for a moment, here's what I'd say. I'd say, why are you still carrying around the shame of the sins that you've committed that are gone? Why is it that you're carrying around the shame of the sins, the sexual sins that you don't think anybody knows about, that all of us think that we're the only ones have ever committed in the room today? And, and why are you still carrying around the, the crimson red stain of a sin that he's made you whiter than snow from? Why are you carrying around the shame of a sin that he's cast as far as the east is from the west? Why are we carrying around shame, church? Any kind of shame from sin that he's cast into the sea of forgetfulness. It was not a small thing. He's greater than sin. He's greater than its ability. So let us rest in his great love for us. If you believe that, say yes. Jesus is greater than sin. Look to verse 4, if you would. For a larger portion of the text, in fact, the remaining piece of the chapter but all speaking to the same subject. Verse 4 says, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Sometimes I chuckle to myself because you think of the cults of the world that look similarly to Christianity but are not. They are indeed cults. And they will equate Jesus to angels. 
either in his power and his being, sometimes even in a relation, saying that he was like a brother to the angels, these types of things. And I think, man, if they would just ever read Hebrews chapter 1 just one time, the whole cult would go away if they just read this one chapter. Why is it that they just don't read that one? And I've had people ask, Pastor Ben, how do I, how do I evangelize groups like that, like Mormons and, and Jehovah's Witnesses? How, how, do I, how do I debate them and be able to, to be a good influence in the gospel in their life? And, and I certainly believe that there's a good place for classes and teaching and material and all those kinds of things but the thing that is born on the absolute best is just to really know the word of god amen if you just really know what is there and you really know what's not there man assuming the person you're talking to can speak the same language you can give a wonderful perfect defense of god's word because you know it you know god's word you know what's there and you know what's not there but this text particularly pertaining to the relationship between jesus and the angels it tells us explicitly and clearly that the enemies of God will be made into a footstool for Jesus. Those things will not be done for angels. It says that Jesus can fold heaven and earth up like a cloak. Heaven and earth. That's what Jesus can do. Angels can't do those things. Jesus has a scepter of righteousness. No such thing is granted to some angel. Jesus is a son to God. No angel takes that category and my personal favorite, that's all the way there in the beginning of verse 4, it says Jesus is just better. Don't you like that one? He's just better, having become so much better than the angels. I love how clear that is. Don't you love that too? He's just better. In our minds today, our 2020 minds don't like that. We like all these, these everyone, everything. No, <laughs> he's just better. And in what way? Every way. He's just better better he god said the same thing jesus said the same thing of john the baptist the, the best prophet born of women ever never another one greater not one before him not one after best one ever i love how clear jesus is just better so third point this morning jesus is greater than angels everyone say that with me you ready set go jesus is greater than angels there was a man by the name of john Patton. he was a Scottish missionary in the 18 mid 1800s to the uh, I guess it'd be the New Hebrides it'd be the South Pacific Islands if I know my geography somewhat and um, and he was a missionary there to the to the New Hebrides people and they're in this missionary house compound type of a situation and they're woken in the middle of the night by this chanting and by this screaming and they look out the window to see this tribe that they had been trying to witness to that they're there with their bows and their arrows and their torches and, and, and they know what's happening. This tribe is coming to kill both of them, him and his wife. And, and they see him get closer and, and they, could, they could even figure, they even knew what the plan was. They were going to try to burn them out of the house because they didn't want to go in the house. They were going to try to burn the house down and, and, and execute them as soon as they came out from having been burnt out of their own home. And so they, knelt, they, they knew the only thing they could do is they got on their knees and they prayed and said, Lord, save us from this. And much to their surprise, just seconds after they had prayed, and, and the, the tribe is, is closing in to lay the torches to the foundation of the house, immediately they put out their torches and they walk away very quiet, very fast, and they leave. And they were perplexed by this. They thought they were goners. This whole tribe just leaves instantaneously, has no idea why. And they pondered this for upwards to a year until they found out that the chief of this particular tribe who was present the night that this tribe was coming to kill them had actually gotten saved and through a certain set of events this John Patton missionary man is able to go and speak with this chief that 
a year earlier was at his house trying to kill him. And, and the missionary says, he says, I, I know you remember that night when you came to my house, you brought the whole tribe. What, why did you stop? Like, what, 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 what caused you to put out your torches so quickly and to, to leave as fast as you did? It was, it was why, why did that happen? We've wondered this for so long. And the chief said, well, as soon as we got close to the house, we saw hundreds of huge armed men with swords in their hands wearing bright clothes, so we were too, too scared and we left. And <laughs> so you say, Pastor Ben, what do you think happened here? And I, I think that perhaps, emphasis for people that like arguing theology, the emphasis on the word perhaps, that very much the same thing happened to that situation in the mid-1800s as it did in 2 Kings 6, which we know that story of Elisha well. The Syrian armies at war with Israel. And the Syrian army would make plans to come against Israel in a certain way. And Elisha's the prophet of God in those days. And, and the Lord would tell him what the Syrian army was about ready to do. So then Elisha would march himself over to the Israelites and say, Hey, don't go over here. The Syrian army's making their way down there. If you go over there, they're going to intercept you. Don't go over there. And, and sure enough, it was, it was affirmed through multiple accounts that, that Elisha would know exactly what the Syrian army was getting ready to do. And then the Syrian king gets a bit mad about it. So he pulls his officials into the room and he says, Which one of you's about ready to have your head roll because I know that one of us is snitching on what the army is doing and and all the officials say no there's this man named Elijah and he's able to tell the Israelite army what you say at night in your bedroom he is an absolute prophet of God so the king says let's gather up this army let's go and kill the prophet we know I think it was in Dothan is where he was at the time and they say let's go kill the prophet so they surround the whole city thousands of soldiers all of them ready to come down and Elisha goes out and sees all this and Elisha has a servant and there's really no good way to put it in scripture that he probably wet himself, but I'm guessing he probably did. And he sees this army and he says, Elisha, what master, what are we going to do? And perhaps he was a little bit perplexed that Elisha didn't seem too worried. And he says, Lord, open his eyes. And then, boom, the Lord opens this servant's eyes. And then around this army surrounding them, he sees chariots of fire angels at the absolute command and beck and call of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and I think that just perhaps that that as Hebrew says that he will send his ministering spirits they'll be sent forth to minister for those to inherit salvation I believe that just perhaps that was exactly what happened in 2nd Kings 6 and I think that just perhaps also that was what happened in the mid 1800s with that John Payton missionary person and some people will say well i don't believe god works that way well listen that this, hebrews is in the new testament just to make sure you know that it's in the new testament these words are for the new testament church and you have to theologically wrestle with that god says that he will send his ministering spirits to minister forth to those who will inherit salvation so i've been chewing on that for a while i hope that you do too but here's what i know is that perhaps in the case of john payton and and the situation there with the tribe surrounding them that that when he's sitting there with the chief and he hears of this story that happens, again, if we're making the assumption, the perhaps, the assumption that this actually happened and it was actually a true working of God according to what it says there in Hebrews 1, I know what John probably thought to himself in that moment. He's thinking, wow, Jesus is more powerful than angels. And he's able to send these ministering spirits on behalf of me, those who will inherit salvation. He, what, I don't have anything to worry about. All those strong, shining, closed swords, drawn angels that protected me and my wife that night, I have nothing to worry about. So we could throw that story out and pretend it didn't happen. We know that 2 Kings 6 happened. 
And when I think that just perhaps what, what, what I'm almost willing to bet anything on that, that Elisha's servant said to himself that day when, when, he, when his eyes were open of God and he looks out and he sees all those chariots of fire, all the angels ready to come down. And they did too as the, the Assyrian army is coming down. Elisha prays and says, Lord, blind them all. And they did. Boom! The entire Syrian army is completely goes blind. And they worked on behalf of Elisha and his servant. And what I bet his servant said to himself that day is, wow, Jesus, God, he is more powerful. He is greater than angels. And all those armies are just, just going to go do his bidding, this great, powerful army, and Jesus is the commander of. I have nothing to worry about, I'm sure is what the servant of Elisha said on that day in 2 Kings 6. So you say, Pastor Ben, why are you telling us this? I'm telling you all of this because we may not have people with bows and arrows and torches surrounding us. At least not yet. The year's not over. but <laughs> We might not have the Syrian army waiting to come down and swoop in to take the prophet. We may not have that happening to us, but I'll tell you what we do have. In the year 2020, we have people who use teleprompters who are positioning themselves against the church of God. We've had this 2020 dumpster fire of a year that is confused and chaotic and mean. And I mean, I don't believe in continuing revelation. I believe that the word of God, we have it in its completion. But if I believed in continuing revelation, I would be seriously considering right now that the BG song Staying Alive was prophetic for this year. I mean, it's... When we get off social media, when we get off any kind of media for that matter, church, and we pray like Elisha did for his servant, God, open our eyes to what's really going on here. I believe in my spirit. I believe because God's word says it. I believe in the absolute core of who I am. That when we step back and we see what God is able to do, that Jesus is greater than angels, that he's got these armies just, just waiting for his command, perfect power, amazing things, all the things that Jesus is and over and the power that he has. And we believe what the book of Hebrews says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? If we believe that, I believe that our responsibility that of the missionary, I believe that our responsibility that of the servant, and that we will say Jesus is more powerful, he is greater than angels, we indeed have nothing to worry about. Would you stand with me as we come to the music? If you don't know Jesus, I pray that you love him and that you trust him, that you come to know him and that he will fulfill the promise that he's already said he will do, that he will save you. But if you're a child of God, I hope that you walk out these doors today. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you're forgiven of your sins, boy, I hope you walk out of this place knowing that he is greater than creation. If this earth... It, responsible, being wise, doing what we can do, obviously, but not worshiping the earth, not worshiping this idea that if all the earth is going to burn up, if we don't lower our carbon, if it's going to burn because it, 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 if it breaks down, it will be because his word has lost power. I don't believe his word is going to lose power. It will happen as it may, according to the word of my Lord. So I hope you walk out of here knowing that Jesus is greater than creation. Man, I really hope that you walk out of here knowing that he is greater than sin. He is so much greater than sin. Has no power over him. Certainly has no power over him. 
And the only power it has over you, if you're a child of God this morning, is, is what power you give it. Because its back has already been broken. Its ability, sin's ability to condemn you is already gone through the cross when you trust Him and follow Him. And if if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know what that's like for sin to be broken in your life, man, I I pray that you would repent of your sins and turn and trust Him. And I also hope that you would walk out of here knowing that He is greater than angels. He's greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Joe Biden. Can, Can we say that? I'm going to even if I'm not allowed to. He's greater than Joe Biden. He's greater than Donald Trump. You know what? And I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to stack even, even the smallest, most least powerful angels in heaven. I'd be willing to stack any one of them against any of us or any of the people that cause us fear in today's world. Against that little bitty angel that, whose voice is able to shake the temple of God because they're screaming the praises of, his, of their Savior and their Lord and their Master. He's a good God, church. And I want us to love Him and to trust Him. Amen. Father in heaven, Thank you for being with us in this time. Speak to our hearts as we go out today. Let your word come alive, Lord, I pray. It's been dead far too long in far too many hearts, Lord. Lord, give us the give us a life stripped of the distractions such that we will have hearts that hide your word in them again that we will see them alive in our lives, that we will believe it down in our core, that we actually believe it. And to see the great, awesome, and mighty hand of our Lord do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, let's worship.